0: I kid you not i would go to travel after work go to universities go to companies and go pitch to them on consulting i would do it almost every day now we have about 2.3 million followers on social media which is crazy to think about we've been partnered with linkedin Coursera. someone was like ah like i don't like your content <laughs> right
1: <laughs> i'm your host matthew and i'm your co-host nick Welcome back to Founder Framework. We break down the success of distinguished entrepreneurs
2: to uncover how you can replicate their success. Here, you'll receive actionable insights that will guide you to your dream business, project, and lifestyle. Now, let's get into the podcast. Our guest today is Jonathan Javier, the CEO and founder of One Salting. He is a Forbes 30 under 30 honoree for education and has a following of over 180,000 people on LinkedIn. Our guest today is building One Salting, a career consulting business that turns your dream job into a reality. They're turning underdogs into winners. Juan has helped over 100,000 people land their dream jobs. Before founding Juan Jonathan worked go-to-market strategy and operations at Cisco, eventually moving to professional development officer. He also spent time at Google and Snapchat, again specializing in operations and strategy. So how did Jonathan grow Juan to over 100,000 satisfied clients? How has Jonathan been able to set target after target and achieve them seemingly without fail? Well, let's dive into the conversation. So welcome, Jonathan, to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Nick, appreciate it. Of course. So how does one identify a startup opportunity? How did the idea for One Salting actually come about?
0: Yeah, so for my startup, it all happened when I was in corporate. And when you're working in corporate, you, of course, corporate is a great job. A lot of people want to break into tech. And for me, when I was starting my career, I wanted to break into the Googles of the world, and I was able to in 2018. But I realized that my dream job was Google at the time, but going through it, seeing individuals that were trying to break into these companies coming from non-target schools, which are schools that are smaller schools, and also non-traditional backgrounds, people from underprivileged backgrounds, not a lot of people worked at these companies. So I saw a problem that needed to be solved, which was, how do we get more of these people to break into these respective companies? And that's how Juan Consulting first started as just an idea. An idea basically to turn underdogs into winners. So what I would do is, I kid you not, I would go to travel after work, go to universities, go to companies and go pitch to them Juan Consulting, and tell them about the things that I was doing and have them also be a part of it. I would do it almost every day and Three years later, it's grown ever since. Now we have about 2.3 million followers on social media, which is crazy to think about in a, such a short time span. But how I thought of it was just through my day-to-day and just seeing that there was a huge need and people always reaching out and saying, Jonathan, how can you help me land a job? And that's how Consulting first started as from an idea to a business.
2: So how did you turn, how did you estimate like the viability of it as a business and then, what made you wanna go out of your way to start something like Juan Salting to help these people? Was it purely altruistic? Was it you saw a business opportunity or maybe a mix of them?
0: Yeah, so it was just a passion project at first because there were so many people reaching out to me on LinkedIn asking for advice on how to break into the big companies. And they would have the same story. It would just be like, oh, I go to a non-target school. I can't simply apply to a role and get a job in my dream company. What do I do? I'm telling you, Matthew, Nick, I had about 70 to 80% of people always saying that because they always asked me, you went to UC Riverside. How did you even break in? So there was a huge need and an opportunity there that I saw and it all just started from passion because that's what gave me energy. And so when I kept doing it over and over again, someone then asked me, Hey, how much do I pay to talk to you? Or how much do I pay you to do a workshop? And that's when I thought, Oh, you can get paid for this. So I started doing one-on-one consultations, which were fun. It's just great speaking with people, especially coming from a very similar background as mine. right? I'm first gen, I come from a Filipino background. My mom's the only one who's worked in the family. It's just so great speaking to individuals who are also who are just like me and helping them land their dream jobs. And so when people kept asking me, there's such an influx of people or such a huge volume, I was like, shoot, I, I can't talk to everybody. So then that's when I started expanding the services. And I also had my co founder, Jerry Lee, or our COO, Jerry, join us as well. He was actually at Google, too. So we saw a huge opportunity and we jumped on it even more when COVID happened because a lot of people got laid off and forelocked. So we did a lot of free initiatives, which grew our business significantly in terms of our marketing on LinkedIn and got our personal brands out there where people were like, oh, when I think of career consulting, when I think of landing my dream job, I think of law consulting.
1: How do you think that your framework to applying uh, this, this practice or this service to others, right? Someone comes up to you and says, hey, I don't really know how to approach uh, getting into a company like Google. Um, I don't come, as you say, from a T1 school. Uh, I don't have business school education. I have an arts degree. What, what's the first thing you tell them?
0: yeah so the first thing is people self-reject themselves before even going for it and what will happen is they'll compare themselves to the ivy leaguers so you'll see on linkedin all the time i know you both are probably on linkedin and you see these people announcing their jobs i'm happy to announce that i got a product manager role at meta i'm happy to announce that i got my dream role at deloitte if you look at those people most of them are from ivy league schools or they're from target schools And so people from the smaller schools will say to themselves, shoot, I can't be like that. But there's also people who get motivated and are like, I can do that. So what I tell people all the time, especially if you come from a non-target school, is if you're trying to break into these companies, you have to use unconventional methods and you can apply, but applying sometimes doesn't work out because the school that you attend is not partnered with that company. So the company does not directly recruit from that school. So you have to reach out to recruiters and hiring managers and so I have this framework where I talk about four tiers of applying to a role. And the fourth tier is simply applying to a job. So that would mean applying on a job's website, which most people do. Then the other one is getting referred. So let's just say that Nick, you work at a, as a product manager at Indeed, and you refer Matthew, who wants to go for a design role at Indeed. It's a random referral. But people don't know the two other tiers which is a hiring team recommendation. So let's just say I'm going for a product manager role at Indeed and Nick, you work as a product manager there. So that's a hiring team recommendation. And then the hiring the hiring manager recommendation, which is, let's just say that Nick is the head of product at YouTube and I'm going for a product manager role and Nick is the person who's recruiting for the role. The thing is people are mostly in tier four and tier three, but people don't know how to find the tier two and tier one. And at One Consulting, we've helped people identify who are these tier two and tier one folks. So you can reach out to them and say, hey, I'm a great candidate. These are my skills and experiences. I'd love to chat for 15, 30 minutes regarding these experiences to fit your role. And that's how a lot of people have been able to basically skip applying and going directly to that hiring manager who's recruiting for the role. And that's what I teach people all the time. And that's what we teach through our social media content.
2: Got it. So could you dive into a bit more of the specifics or the services of one salting so that's actually already different from what i kind of imagined where i thought it would be you know this is your framework or your template to build the perfect application but it sounds like it's actually a very different approach from what you might expect so is that the main i guess flagship service of one salting or are there other other um, other areas you guys provide as well
0: yeah we've expanded our services significantly so we first started with resume revisions, linkedin profiles, job search strategy and interview prep. And those are very core pieces of the job search or when you're going through an application. Because you need to have a you need to have a great resume that fits that job description's qualifications. You need that linkedin profile so when you reach out to hiring managers or professionals, they see your linkedin profile and say, "Matthew, I want to hire you. I want I want to speak to you because of that linkedin profile." Then you got to figure out that job search strategy, which is how do you network with people? Then the interview prep once i get that interview how do i crush it and we've expanded to so many so much more because there's such a need for other things such as one pain point we saw was people have full-time jobs they don't have time to apply to roles so why don't we apply for you so we have something called auto apply then we implemented something where it was a career consultation because people wanted to speak to a professional or a hiring manager or a recruiter one-on-one to decipher what is their dream job so we launched career consultation actually yesterday so that's basically the flagship program of the services working one-on-one with people and then we have so much more now we have like our course uh, which we have which goes through the whole recruiting cycle we also have the 20 which is a program where we take 20 job seekers to help them land their dream jobs in 12 months guaranteed and then lastly we have our brand partnerships which has been doing fairly well we've been partnered with LinkedIn Coursera a lot of different part of a lot of different companies so we've expanded a ton since we first started
2: congratulations that's all really really exciting um, so how do you know when to add more services or features or products to your business and make sure you know you're not spreading yourself too thin how did you evaluate that or I guess build the product roadmap
0: yeah so How we identified it was we love speaking to our paying customers, our followers, and getting a lot of feedback from them and figuring out what is a problem that they're having that our services or what we have currently aren't tackling. So what we saw a ton of is, for example, that auto-apply was that people just didn't have time to apply to roles. They were like, Jonathan, Jerry. I. I don't have time, I have a full-time job, I'm a working parent, I don't have time to apply to roles. So then we saw a need, and then what we did was, we saw multiple instances of that need. So it wasn't just one person like you, Matthew, telling me, oh, I need auto-apply. It was basically thinking about what problems do we have and what, what can we do as a company to solve for it? So that's an example for the auto-apply. For the 20, we had people saying, Jonathan, I wanna work with you one-on-one. I don't work with people one-on-one anymore. But through the 20, what we do is we lead the workshops there and they're able to speak with us one on one there. So that's the need. That's a problem we solve for the one on one aspect of guiding someone throughout their career to land that job. So when for us, yeah, when we expanded, it was just all about seeing that need, and then figuring out and working backwards of how could we as a company fulfill the needs of our followers, our potential customers and our paying customers.
1: I think it's almost sort of very important to, to understand that you have to have your product launched first, be in this space, and just soak up all this, all the feedback you can get, right? Um, oftentimes, people are always stuck on thinking about the idea, not really executing. And that expansion of product that, that uh, you're experiencing is a function of just being in the space, doing it every day, and and identifying, as you said, challenges that are there. I agree,
0: I was gonna say, you have to speak to your customers or your followers regarding their needs. Because if you just keep making assumptions and they're not based on what they need, you're basically solving for something that doesn't need to be solved for.
1: Fair.
2: So, So how do you actually get that information? How do you serve, do you survey your users? Do you email them, contact them? How did you guys go about that?
0: Yeah, so for example, I'll, I'll give you an example. So we're launching a new course in about a month or two months, and our first course did really well. So what we did was, we were like, okay, what's, what do we need to improve on our first course? So at first we just made assumptions. We're like, oh, okay, okay, like, maybe we can expand on this. Maybe we can expand on resumes. But then we realized a lot of the feedback that we were getting was that our course, so it's basically talking about how you get recruited to get a job, it was all it was for everybody meaning it's not segmented so one of the things one of the pain points that we got a lot from when we spoke with customers one on one was oh it's not for me because I'm a professional and this is more applicable to students in early career so then for our next course we segmented it based on student early career and professional how we got that information is two ways number 1 you can speak one on one with the customers or followers i will do it or i have my team doing it now i have a team of about 30 now which is crazy to think about that we've expanded that much in about two years so have myself or my team talk to them right the second thing is also looking at the data so we use a crm where we can see feedback from people who have taken the course or our services and then seeing if we have any pain points that consistently show up and then think about how do we solve for that issue do we implement this solution? And then once we figure out those solutions, then we go to that person who, for example, for the course, I go to that person and I say, this is a solution that we came up with, what do you think? Maybe they say, oh, this is amazing, 100%. Some of them might even give more feedback, so then I have to iterate it even more. So that's how we consistently collect feedback, whether it's speaking to them, looking at looking at our CRM, whether it's going on Instagram, me posting a, a poll or questions and then them asking questions and then i take all the questions and then i use that as feedback but then also i'll use it as content so then for TikTok, instagram and instagram i'll make content based on the questions that are asked the most that's how i usually will get a lot of my content ideas
2: makes sense um so you mentioned a team of about 30 people i think I saw on LinkedIn, One Salting had 64 employees on LinkedIn, um, maybe somewhere, somewhere around there. But when you're scaling a team, you know your whole business is teaching people how to get jobs. But for any founders or people building startups out there listening, can we flip the script a bit and ask how should startups hire effectively and select the right applicants?
0: Yeah, so I have 30 people on my core team and then some other ones are service providers. So they'll do a lot of the services. Got it. So, I my philosophy with hiring is a lot of people talk about hiring for potential, which is important. Another thing is, of course, having the the skills and the experiences. Like, you can't not have those skills and experiences. So, for example, like I was hiring a marketing manager, and I had like two hundred plus app, two hundred three hundred applications, and you know, some people didn't have experience, some people did but the people that looked at were the people who did have experience and the skills. So you gotta make sure your skills and experiences align with the rules that you're going for, but the person has to be very aligned with your mission, turning underdogs into winners, coming from a non-target school, non-traditional background, someone who's also struggled in the job search before. The reason why I say this is because these individuals are the ones who stay at your company. They don't see it as transactional. They're not like, okay, Matthew and Nick, I'm just here to collect a paycheck and then I'm leaving. They're not the ones who say, okay, Matthew and Nick, I'm waiting till Friday so I can enjoy my weekend and then come back on Monday and now I'm gonna dread my life for the next five days. I've never heard that from any of my team members. The reason why <laughs> is because they correlate so directly with that mission. I talked to all my friends in corporate, they're always like that, they're always like, oh, I can't wait till Friday, all right? I can't wait till Friday, I can't, and then on Monday, like oh, I hate Mondays, I love Mondays. But it's it's all about getting those people who agree and align with your mission because they also have that mission. They're also driven not by a paycheck, but they're driven to help people because of that mission. And that's how I find some of the best employees and
1: team members. And that's why I love my team. There's something that you said there that piqued my interest a little bit that you said you have to hire for experience. as, as a person, a little bit of background about myself, guys, uh, for the audience as well, if you haven't heard of the, about this before, uh, personally, I come from a non-target business school and studied hospitality and tourism, and I work in the finance field. So this speaks very, very loudly to me, because how did I do this is a question that I've been asked a lot that you can, you can ask me on social media if you, if you find the chance, or maybe join the Discord at uh, Investor Community, and, and we can connect through that way. So I'm not going to bore you guys with that story here. How do you balance um, finding the correct, I guess, candidate versus having enough experience, right? Because when you do consult for your clients, you say to them, hey, I think you have to basically approach this from a different light. And at that point, it's, it's almost hard to find the correct quote-unquote experience to enter something like Google, Right. Um, so how do you, how do you help your clients think about that? Because I think there's a lot to, to say about in terms of having the correct mindset and mentality when tackling applications to the FANG, for example, or for McKinsey, for example, where their interview processes are extremely rigorous other than the four, um, I guess, referral methodologies you mentioned before, is there anything you should, you could share to us about how you should have the correct mindset going into these things?
0: Yes. Definitely the correct mindset is so important what I say all the time is if you ever get an opportunity for your dream role or a role that you're just so interested in that if you didn't have it you just you just wouldn't be happy is you got to go all out and the reason why is because a lot of people get their dream opportunities and they'll just be there's two mindsets there's one mindset that says all right I'm just going to go for let's see Google. I'm just gonna go for Google, whatever happens, happens. Like, you, you've heard that mindset, right? Where people are just like, yeah. all right, whatever, I got an opportunity, I'm just thankful for that. Like, they expect the worst, <laughs> which is fine. And then there's other people who go all out and are like, all right, this is my dream opportunity. I'm gonna go crush it, I'm gonna do this, this, this. this. Personally, I'll give you a personal story, actually. For Snapchat, I came from UCR. Most people they recruited from recruited were from USC, UCLA. And the one reason, I believe the one reason why I got the job was three reasons. Number one, I found the, link, the recruiter on LinkedIn, sent her a message explaining my experiences and skills. Then I number two, got on a phone chat with her, described my skills and experiences. Then, then the second part, I keep going. I kept following up, being like, hey, I'm really interested in the role. Then she moved me to the final round. The final round, I actually presented a project that Showcase the skills that I brought to the table that was directly correlated with snapchats geolocation I presented it and they didn't ask for it And The reason why I did that was because I knew that nobody else would do that So for those who are in the job search process if you want to stand out from a non-target school or non-traditional background And you might not have as much experience But you know, this is your dream opportunity and you want it create something that where you can think out. we shows you thought outside the box and also showcases your skills for the people that i hire for the marketing manager for example nick matthew i didn't look at her resume i didn't look at her resume she sent me a deck actually on linkedin she's like hey jonathan i saw your job application i actually fit all these qualifications i actually made a deck for you i read the deck five minutes let's interview you right so you can utilize these unconventional strategies coming from a non-target school non-traditional background to land jobs and people will always say, "Well, Jonathan, why would you do that? That's just ridiculous." What happens if they just reject you from that? Well, guess what? That'll be a great story that you can tell people later on. And you only need one yes at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, I think that's really good wisdom. And the reason I ask you that is because I think that that word, those words of advice are applicable not only just to job searches, right? Those those words of advice are just applicable to. Just networking as a whole, figuring out who you want to talk to and how do you capture their attention, right? Um, it allows you to just push your network to its absolute limit. And those tips are applicable even just in business as a whole. If, if, if you're looking for the attention of an investor, for example, I'm pretty sure those exact same steps would be very useful in terms of getting their attention to help you fund your project as well, right? So guys, this isn't just about only finding your dream career. It's more along the lines of really, really good networking strategies, right? So thank you for sharing that.
0: Of course, and I was gonna say, Nick, 100%, it's not just about job search, it's about anything. For example, reaching out to people for, I'll I'll give you an example, Forbes 30 under 30. I actually strategized it. Basically, what happened was the first time got rejected, final round got rejected. But second time, instead, reached out to. The app. I actually reached out to the not the hiring manager, but the editor, who reached out to us before. I reached out to her. I showcased exactly why we should be in Forbes 30 Under 30. She sent me an email back, was like, "Hey, I'd love to have you. I'd love for you to fill out this form. Fill out the form. We got Forbes 30 Under 30." So I believe that that factor was the reason why we got Forbes 30, 30 the next year. So it can be applicable to anything, reaching out to people for for articles, reaching out to people to be on podcasts like this, like Matthew, Nick, I'm here today because you all have a great reach out strategy. So I, I applaud you for that.
2: Thank you. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say, Nick. Um, it's a great point. So to get into more details, have you heard of any examples of like maybe an unconventional pitch from a startup or do you have any ideas off the top of your head that we could probably just go and use tomorrow because we love to try and give actionable advice uh, from the podcast so maybe i'm putting you on the spot a little bit but
0: (laughs) yeah i mean personally i i don't even have everything's bootstrapped for long salting so i don't have any vc or any angel investors or anything it was just all bootstrapped from when we worked in corporate and Yeah, since it's a service-based business, we don't have any inventory, Mm -hmm. so nothing depreciates. I mean, I could give some suggestions what I think would work. I don't know 100% if it would work, but some things to try. What I would say is one thing that I've noticed that works a lot is reaching out to people on platforms where they're not big on. Because most people, what will happen is you'll see, let's just say, i'm trying to think of someone but let's just say you have someone who posts on linkedin who's super huge on linkedin right they're an investor they're talking about angel investing what a lot of my friends used to do is they would go and reach out on a platform that they weren't big in and send them a message because they knew for a fact that they would see that message because they're not big on that platform they're probably not getting hit up a lot so what i say all the time is for me i'm i was so big on linkedin before Nobody hit me up on Instagram except one person hit me on Instagram before. It was like, "Hey, John, let's have a coffee chat." I've seen a LinkedIn content. I got a coffee chat with them because I never look at my LinkedIn co- LinkedIn messages anymore. It's too many, right? So that's one thing that I could think of. Um, the second thing is, even not for investors, but this is also a job search strategy. I tell people all the time is, if you work in a respective company, or if you know someone who works in a respective company even if they're in the lowest tier, even if they're just, say let's say, a VC scout or if they're just an associate, that person has internal access to all everything internally, the emails, the per- background of the person. So if you hit that person up and they're like, hey, Matthew, I saw that you, you know, you're a part of Sequoia Capital and do you know this person by any chance? Could you send me an introduction? Or they could be like, hey, could you send me their email? Then you send them the email. So those are two ways that I can think of where you're able to reach out to some people who you're trying to connect with.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's funny actually. Um, Ashley uh, told me, or no, maybe it wasn't Ashley, but someone else had told me, it was someone else who runs a large Instagram account for investing, told me that they got a DM from the co-founder of Square. I almost, I almost don't wanna say this because then I think everyone's gonna go flood his DMs. <laughs> but uh, Jim McKelvey, who wrote uh, the book right there, The Innovation Stack, very, very small, on Instagram, he's the co-founder of Square, this guy DM'd him, and he got a response back. And he only has like 200, maybe 300 followers on Instagram, right? And you hear co-founder of Square, and you're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like to be in a text conversation or in the same room as him must be amazing. But it's right there, um, so I think that's a that's a really good hack and something uh, I need to maybe implement into into my strategies moving forward too.
0: I was gonna say I need to do that as well, like. <laughs> my, like like, my girlfriend has actually been telling me to reach out more on Instagram because I'm verifying on Instagram, so the check mark goes on. So she's yep. like, go reach out to more people on the Instagram. And it works. So like, I'm telling you guys, 90% of the time people will respond. But mostly I've been doing it low-key to, to like, uh, food places because I'm a foodie, so I ask them if they want to <laughs> partner. It's
2: not VCs or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Still a good use of time, though. <laughs> right, right, right. So you said, you've told a lot of these stories of, like, I wanted to do X, Y, Z, and then you end up reaching that target. So, you've talked a lot about how to reach your goals of strategizing to get to the right person. But are there any other frameworks that you use to achieve certain goals? Maybe like milestones or things like that.
0: Yeah. So, for example, for one consulting, we have internal goals like we have, we have like KPIs that we're trying to hit, and we have long-term goals. We re- we reach very we reach very high. So, for example, one of the KPIs that we have is. For LinkedIn content, we want to hit 500,000 views a week, which is a lot uh, for one saltings page. So we'll aim for that, but then we'll also have other targets that are more attainable, such as like one of the one KPIs we have is clicks in bio because clicks in bio convert into people signing up for resources, which in the resources go to the email marketing and the email marketing converts clients because it's email marketing, right? So achieving those goals or putting goals where it's, long-term goals but then also short-term goals that are attainable are important. But also you got to look into a perspective of okay, this is the, the in a perfect world I would want this amount of views. Right? I want I would want 500,000 views a week. But if we can attain that 1000 clicks in bio is fine too. Because if you keep putting everything so excessive where it's just impossible to reach every week, your team then gets unmotivated. They're just like, "Oh, shit, I'm never going to make it." So that's why for us at Wonsulting, we'll have those KPIs that our team can meet. And then we'll also put into a sheet too for our whole team to see. So we, every team meeting, we go through those sheets and be like, okay, like what did we hit this week? Oh, we hit this mark, How, why did we hit this mark? And then we analyze the content to see what did well and what didn't do well, and then replicate the ones that did well for the future weeks. So a lot of, lot of goal setting. And then lastly, I actually do a lot of goal setting through drawing my mm-hmm. future. So I'll make a vision board and I'll draw my future. I won't write it. like I won't write my goal, I'll draw it.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: Forbes actually picked this up before. That's how I got an article on Forbes, because I drew my future and one of the goals I had was do on win full time. One of the goals was breaking to Google. And when you're able to visualize that goal instead of just writing it down on a piece of paper, you wake up every day and you can look at that board and be like, okay, that's the goal I need to hit today. So that's another mechanism that I've personally used to achieve a lot of the goals that I set for myself.
2: There's a lot of questions that that just sprouted from that. Um, So I guess the first one that I'll go with is when you have those meetings and you have all the goals on a sheet that everyone can see, what is the culture like when working, when managing people? So you talked about how you almost ideally hire people who have gone through the problem that your business is trying to solve, right? So that already probably puts culture way ahead. Um, but how do you hold people accountable or manage people without coming across as maybe micromanagement? Micro. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So for example, uh, I run a lot of the marketing at one Consulting, and I'll have my, I have my marketing manager. I have my social media intern. I have also email marketing. I have a copywriter. So what we'll do is every week we'll go through, we'll basically I'll give you the framework. So. Basically on Fridays, we'll have team meetings, we'll go through the metrics, we'll see what did well, what didn't do well, and what we can improve on. What'll happen is we'll go to the meeting and we'll look at all the, let's just say Instagram. So I actually just did this yesterday. So we'll look through all the Instagram posts and we'll figure out, okay, which one did well and which one didn't. And then we think about, okay, the ones that did well, how do we replicate those for the next week? And we delete the ones that didn't do well. Usually ones that do well are are the same type of content. So by adjusting that, then next week we test that hypothesis and if we're able to hit that goal, then that's what matters. For me, if we don't hit that metric, let's just say we hit 400,000 views and we need 500,000 on LinkedIn, that's fine, right? As long as we're very close to it and as long as we're adjusting and testing hypotheses, which will help us get to that metric, then it's okay. Because if we keep doing the same thing over and over again, we're going to get the same result. The same thing in the job search. If you're applying to roles and people will say, I applied to 200 roles and I didn't get a response. Well, the reason why you're not getting a response is because you're doing the same thing over and over again. You're not adjusting. So it's all about testing the hypotheses that you come up with, testing it for the next week, seeing what works, doesn't work, the things that work, then do it again.
2: Continuous cycle. Got it. it sounds very much like the fail fast kind of mantra. Yes. Um, Exactly. Mm. So then the other question I had from uh, what you said earlier, you talked about a vision board and Mm -hmm. I I read a bit of this book, uh, ego is the enemy. And they had a section talking about how if you visualize things too much, if you plan things too much and spend too much time thinking about it, your brain will start to mistake that for actual progress. And then it'll be harder to take action. Do you have (sighs) any thoughts on that?
0: Interesting. So, it's true. Yeah. What what you can do, and what I will do actually for my vision board is, there's two parts of it. There's a current state, and then there's a future state. So, what people might be doing is they might just be drawing their goals, and it might just be okay. I'm going to be this person, and I'm already this person, right? Or they'll say, okay, like this is my long term goal. Like I'm going to attain it then. But well, what you do with the current state and the future state is for your current state, you talk about what you're doing right now. So for example, let me just, let's just say on TikTok, I have, I think I have TikTok, I have 890K, 890K. Then for my long-term goal, I want, let's just say 2 million. I'm just making it up. So on the current state, I'll put 890K and then I'll draw a TikTok logo, whatever. And then the future state, I'll draw a TikTok logo, but then I'll make it happy and fun, right? So your current state is something that you're like, oh, I don't wanna be like this. And your future state is the one that says, "Okay, I w- I aspire to go from this to this." But yeah, I think vi- like writing your goals is totally different because when you write it, it's always in your head that you're going to accomplish it. Because when you write it and you draw your future, that's what's going to keep visualizing you and have you explain to yourself, "Okay, this is why I'm creating more TikTok content to get to more closer to this goal." So drawing your future rather than um, just simply visualizing it is is definitely important. Like I wouldn't take. Something from the internet like get a meme and then put it there. It's too easy Just draw it even if you're even if if you're a crap drawer. Just
2: draw it. I Like that I've never heard of someone drawing their vision board Usually it's just like I've seen people take photos here and there but drawing it really makes it your own right
0: exactly Then that's why the the failure I believe that what happens is when you just take pictures from the internet and you just throw them on there It's like it takes you five minutes, but if you Mm. actually take time to draw them It's like your own personal drawing, you know, it's like it's accomplishments you truly want to do and you truly want to accomplish throughout the
1: year. I'm 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 finding this conversation very, very interesting because I remember Matthew showed me his vision board and it was this giant web. So I'm sure he does something quite similar already and and he's might he might be picking up a few tips and tricks. But honestly, I, I feel like you have it right. Uh. Uh, write down to, to basically focusing in on on your goals and aspirations, right? Figure out where you want to be and then figure out the steps you need to take to get there and make it fun, draw for yourself. Uh, and, I mean, some people might prefer writing, but as, as, uh, as you said, even if you suck at drawing, just give it a try. It might help you um, reset that mindset and like view your goals under a different light that you might have not viewed previously, so... And I was going
0: to say too, one thing to accomplish goals is yes, you could visualize it. You could have these specific aspirations and some of them won't be achieved. And that's okay. One thing that's important is having someone who holds you accountable towards those goals. If you don't have anybody who holds you accountable towards them, it's very easy for you to go into something, go into a funk where you say to yourself, Oh, I'll just do that next week. But when you have someone pushing you to keep on going, and you have a friendly competition, it increases your motivation to attain those goals. An example for this was I actually like lost 30 pounds in 2019 in three months, and the reason why, and I don't think I would have lost 30 pounds if I didn't do this, I told one of my best friends, shout out to Frank, wherever you are, but <laughs> I told one of my best friends, I was like, I'm gonna lose 30 pounds in three months, and, I, and he said, you're not. And I said, I bet you, I bet you, uh, bet you dinner that I will. And then he's like, okay, like I'll bet you too. And I'll, I'll basically, what we did was we posted it all on Instagram. <laughs> we posted on our Instagram stories about our weight loss. So we held each other accountable, but then we also held our audiences accountable. This one when I was super small. So it was only like 2,000, 3,000 people. Um, but that's just an example of the accountability aspect.
2: Yeah. I think um, public accountability is like another thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, not only do you have like your friend, but you have everyone who has already bought into your brand it's like if you don't do that it almost becomes damaging to your personal brand um and you've actually talked a lot about the importance of personal brand which makes a lot of sense with one salting how do you build that personal brand and how do you track the success of a personal brand are there any metrics you can monitor or is it more intangible
0: yeah so personal branding i believe is just all about finding yourself and what you're. What you're passionate about, what do you love talking about, where if you were put into a room with another person, what can you talk about for days or weeks on end? It's all about not only the perception of who you are, but what you stand for. So an example of someone who has a great personal brand is Gary Vee. You both know Gary Vee, right? Mm -hmm. What are some words to describe Gary Vee?
2: Hardworking. Charismatic. Uh, Charismatic. Hustle. Hustler. Uh, Straightforward.
0: Straightforward. How did you know that? Social media. Social media. What does that reflect? What do you mean? Like, what does that reflect about him? That reflects his personal brand, Mm, right? Because you've never met him, right? Gary Vee, right? But you have these things that come to mind when you think of Gary Vee, right? For both of you. There might be some words that come to mind that people always think, think of too. Like you both are smart, intelligent y'all know a lot about finance, about stocks, about investing. Those are words to describe both of you, right? So when you're developing that personal brand, think about think about what are those five lines? What are those five things that someone would say about you from your personal brand? And that's what I try to think of all the time. Okay, when people think about Jonathan, they think of career consulting, they think about turning underdogs into the winners. they think of, about someone who loves to give back and helping people. They think about someone who comes from a non-traditional background. So when you're able to build that brand, when people think of you, they automatically will think of what your mission is and what you stand for.
1: Yeah, that that's super sage advice. I think that when you when you break it down to like the top five things, I think about Matthew. You're completely right. He's like super smart guy, uh, very hardworking, talented in finance, and really good at. He's messing, blushing, right? He's blushing. He really is. He rarely <laughs> he hears me say this. <laughs> but but I, I think about it, and, and, and it's interesting because uh, back to, jumping really quickly back to that story that I mentioned back in my university days, um, I, I was in a hospitality program, but funny thing enough, everybody knew me for finance. And that, that whole like image just came from me being my, doing a finance minor, but then just being in the space where everybody is quite similar in everything else and standing out with whatever unique talents you have really helps you build that personal branding to get you known for something, for something for something special, right? So, so being able to put yourself out there and showcase what you're good at and what you like to do, and just being yourself, is a really good way of showing that personal branding.
0: Yeah, and I was going to say, not being scared to make content or building your personal brand is one of the most important things too, because people, what'll happen is you'll get a comment on your post that. Isn't, doesn't have the same opinion as you or has a troll, and a lot of people will get offended. Be like, oh, I don't want to post anymore. I remember feeling that same way. Maybe Matthew, for Nick, maybe for your YouTube content, you have some people who comment like that, right? At the end of the day, there's gonna be 1% of people who are like that, but there's 99% of other people who are vouching for you, that want you to grow your personal brand, that are on that journey with you, and that's the most important part.
2: Yeah, and I think when it comes to those comments, something that I've experienced with my channel as well, is you have to remember, that those comments might make up still a small percentage, maybe like two, three percent, maybe it feels like 10% or something. But then you also have to remember like comments in total also makes up a small percentage of your audience. So the comments that may be negative or opposing or make you feel you know not great about what you're doing, it's actually a much, much, much smaller percentage Uh, Of your audience than you might realize and there's a much larger silent majority that is still pulling for you
0: So that's especially a hundred percent and like I got a comment today not on mine But on want something channel where someone was like ah like I don't like your content (laughs) Right, (laughs) but it's like it's like when you get those you get more motivated to be like, okay You don't like it you well, I'll go make some more that you may like or may not like but yeah, it, it happens. That's why I tell people all the time: you just got to ignore those, or you utilize it to motivate yourself, to also make more content or make more things to grow your business.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nick is uh, Nick is actually considering starting to create some content. So, uh, what should. are your thoughts on all this, Nick?
1: That that's true. No, I I think. I think the things that really hit home—they're starting to resonate with me. This this entire conversation, Jonathan, when you said just just do it and and you can build, especially from from the beginning of this conversation when you're talking about reiterating your posts and basically making small analyses on like, hey, this works and this doesn't, and just like doing it and executing on it, all the way to what we we're just talking about now about about how to uh, use use comments and feedback that might not be positive as fuel. Um, I think. I think a lot of the times when people are starting to uh, want to create something for themselves, they, they get bogged down with a lot of the ifs and ands and buts, and they don't really want to keep pushing on, right? Um, or they don't really even want to get started. And realistically, from where I'm sitting, I currently work a nine-to-five job. I, I'm on this podcast as a co-host. To push yourself to get to the point to start something for yourself is, is the hardest part. Once you've started it, you just have to basically focus more time and energy, of course. But then, but then all the problems that you might have perceived earlier on, you're going to be able to solve them over time just by putting in the time and the effort. So I think the advice that I think I've learned out of this entire conversation is just go and do it. Go and mm-hmm. do it. And if it's wrong, well, you've learned something. How do you fix it the next time? Right. And if people give you bad comments, you know, use it as fuel. Okay, this might have sucked, but how do we improve for the next time? Right. So putting yourself in that mindset and that framework is super important. And I appreciate both of you guys for sharing that perspective with me today.
0: Yeah. Nick, I expect you to make a lot of content after this, (laughs) but I'm serious. It's like you both remind me of myself and Jerry, for example, like I'm like you, Matthew, like I grew once holding's TikTok to like 600 K in a year. And my, my COO, he was like, oh, like, should I get on TikTok? Like, how do, like, at first we didn't get on TikTok because I remember he was like, ah, TikTok's for Gen Z. But I told him, I was like, no, it's not. And I'll show you. And literally grew to 600K. So then he's like, all right, I'll do it. And now he's grown to 220K on TikTok. And then for me, Instagram, I grew to 300, I think had 350K. Like, it just got it today. 350K around. And that was in about a year. But then I told him, I was like, yo, you should get on Instagram too. Just do TikToks, put them on Instagram. And he's like, all right, fine. Now he's at 152. Okay. So it's, and it's, the crazy part, it's such in a small time frame. But why I'm saying this is like for you, Nick, and for anybody watching, if you're starting to create content, you, got, you have someone who holds you accountable, learn from people who have already done it, because when you learn from people who have already done it, they're willing to help you. Like, I wouldn't be like, "Ah, oh, this person's starting making content. Like, eh, don't do it. I encourage people all the time make content and if you grow that's great right because what happens is you can also say oh shoot i actually helped this person grow and they're usually very thankful for it
2: so i think one thing seems like everything's coming full circle and maybe one one thing to break down as we wrap up here is when you have nothing to lose you have everything to gain so i had seen you mention that on another podcast and it seems like it might be applicable here in our discussion. So could you tell us a little bit about what that line means to you?
0: Yeah, so for example, when you're for job search, I love tailoring to towards job search, when you don't have a job and you're looking for your dream internship, your dream, dream job, whatever it is, you truly don't have anything to lose if you go apply to that role or you go network with that person or you reach out to this person. Because the worst thing that can happen is you get rejected. It's fine. That's what happens in life. The best thing that can happen is you can get a response from someone to land your dream role. So whenever you're going into anything, whether it's starting content, maybe you have zero followers. Right? Maybe you're following five people. You have a five to zero ratio. It's fine. If you make a link, make a post, maybe zero people will view it. Make another post, maybe two people. Make another post, it has 5,000 people view it. Then people start following you. I think what happens is people think that the first pieces of content or the first things that you do have to merit success or have to showcase metrics that are like astronomical. But in reality, you just got to keep going. So for TikTok, I created 20 pieces of TikTok content. The first ones, maybe less than a thousand views. Then I had one video that blew up one, 1 million views got 5,000 followers from it, then kept making content. Some of the videos didn't do well. Then the one did viral, then it got more people. It's like songs, for example. I don't, who's your favorite artist?
2: Uh, let's say right now, Brockhampton. Brock, Brockhampton, do you know every song from Brockhampton?
0: Maybe Can't say I do, no. <laughs> right, but do you know all the viral songs? Yeah. Similar to videos and content. Some will go viral, some will be on Whatever the FM is, some will just be in the album just as subsidy or secondary videos. Right? So, for everyone out there, it truly is like you have nothing to lose, everything to gain with anything you do. And that's the analogy I usually like to give because some videos will do well, some videos won't. At the end of the day, the videos that do well are going to help you grow. The videos that don't, sometimes you just enjoy making those.
2: Got it. Well, Love it. Uh, I think that's a that's a great place to kind of jump into our lightning round, talk about where people can find you. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I wanted to talk a lot more about, you know, how you actually grew from zero to one hundred thousand clients and all that stuff. So we might have to have you back on the podcast at some I'm point. Down. Uh, down. So if you're watching a listing, either the follow the podcast or subscribe, turn on the notifications. Um, we're definitely going to try and get Jonathan back on here at some point, perhaps. But what we'd like to do at the end of the podcast is first we're going to tell everyone where they can find you. But then after that, we like to do a founder framework lightning round. And we ask these same questions to every person who comes on the show and you give us one to three or four word answers. But first, where can everybody find you? What socials, what websites, where should they go?
0: Yeah. So definitely hit me up on Instagram. That's where I usually respond. It's just Jonathan Words of Wisdom. Uh, For LinkedIn, it's just Jonathan Javier. For TikTok, I run the Juan Sulting account. So you look up Juan Salting. Oh, I have my personal one. Don't really use it as often, but I'll try to get on it more. Maybe that's a goal I'll have in mind to grow my personal <laughs> one more on TikTok. Yeah, those are the three that I would say to
2: hit me up on. Perfect. And those will all be down in the description as well. Uh, so with that, we'll jump into the lightning round. So again, Let's do it. one to four word questions. And the first one is, who is your role model? My mom. What is your last meal on Earth?
1: He's a foodie. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs>
0: that's a uh, tough one. Sushi, salmon, salmon niguri. so good.
2: Nice. Salmon Hustle oshi. culture. Oh, salmon oshi, Okay. Yeah. Hustle culture. Yay or nay?
0: Ooh, I have such a, I, I, I have such a deep answer for this, but oh, yeah. should yeah, asked it earlier. Then I well, know. Well, next time. Next time. Yeah. I would say, shoot, it is yay or nay. It, like it's, you have to start with hustle <laughs> culture at first, and then you go to nay. So yay and nay. I don't know if that makes sense.
2: Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's the number one skill set that's helped you get to where you are today? Um, being curious. If you weren't working on your current company, consulting, what would you be building? Hey, what would I be
0: building? That's a tough question. <laughs> Oh, man. What would you be doing? Building a house on the beach.
2: (laughs) That's a great answer. Yeah. (laughs) And lastly, this is another deep one. What's the number one lesson you've learned throughout life?
0: Rejection is redirection.
2: Ooh. Got to put that one on on a quote. Put it it somewhere. Put it on an Instagram post. (laughs) On a T-shirt. That's a good one. What is that? Rejection is redirection. Awesome. Well, again, everybody... Uh, thank you so much to Jonathan for coming on sharing so much wisdom similar to your Instagram handle. That, again, will all be down below in the description. Uh, and with that, I think that's a wrap. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, for having me.